We're live. Welcome in, everybody. It's Tuesday, 102 Central. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let, let us know in the comments if you can uh, hear us and see us uh, fine. I'm joined today by the wonderful Amy. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure meeting you at TeslaCon. How are you doing? It, it's great great to see you again yeah. and ha meet your producer wife again in the background. I'm doing great. I get to go to Tahiti on Friday and uh, a lot of interesting news on Tesla, which always makes me excited. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making the time. And I meant to say that Tesla Bull is Stampede. I don't know why I said Tesla. Yeah, I, there's so I many Tesla that. events. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like I get them crossed. Um, Amy is uh, is somebody who frequents Herbert's channel quite a bit. Herbert Brider uh, with Herbert. Make sure you go check out his channel. Um, he was also uh, hosting one of the panels at uh, at, the, at the Bull Stampede. I know Amy. I, th I think you were supposed to be on the panel, but you you were running late from the investor day because they were running what seemed like thirteen hours behind or whatever because <laughs> they right. had so much to talk about. Um, how was that experience? Kind of get us caught up on on what what your overall thoughts was about the event. I so completely disagree with all the negative uh, feedback about Investor Day. For I mean, of course I was there, so for so it's a completely different experience. I think if you're there and you see that the whole the whole day that was planned for the analyst and the feedback and the analysts there were were very much um, tuned into what Tesla was doing. You know, I think there's an impression in the retail community that analysts don't understand Tesla. I, I didn't see that. I, but I, what I did see is maybe analysts not willing to put their reputations on the line over not knowing how production is going to ramp on, say, Lathrop or or how the production is going to ramp on the Cybertruck. Cyber not that they don't believe that Megapack could be very big or that Lathrop and uh, or that the Cybertruck could be very big. But in the absence of having actual historical data to look at, they're just not willing to put it in their models yet. Um, so that was an interesting thing for me because I hadn't actually, I've, li I've listened to every earnings call since the IPO. And normally I do find the questions to be very perceptive, but it was different seeing the analyst in the same group with me with the meet and greet with the executive and hear the questions that they had, that they were asking. Uh, but there also there was an interesting in that their questions were quite short term in focus. Like they mm. they're trying to look at updating the models for what's the stock going to do three months, six months. And the retail investors, we were able to ask some of the more longer term fo focus questions like how is this Gen 3 platform going to ramp? Like, is it going to you, you know, Lars on stage mentioned that it was going that they were leaving room in all the gigafactories because they thought there was going to be tremendous volume from the Gen 3 platform, but they didn't really give any details about how that was going to go down. So like then one of the questions to the executives that we could ask as a retail investor that probably wouldn't have been asked by an analyst was, are you going to do this simultaneously? Are you going to do one factory first? Are you going to do the others? And the analysts just kind of stepped aside and let us ask those questions. Huh. <laughs> because they wanted the answer, but you know, it's like there's a professional courtesy when that's your job. Whereas when you're a retail investor, you can just ask. I see. <laughs> so, and then, and that was that was super interesting. Then that's the question that gave us the information that Tesla actually had their own in-house team, a construction team that was building these gigafactories, but they were really looking at getting everything nailed down at Giga Mexico on the Gen 3 platform before they expanded out to the other ones. So for me,
being invested in Tesla since immediately after the IPO, not IPO shares, because you need to be an accredited investor for that. And I certainly didn't have that type of money at the time. But immediately after, it's such a maturing of the company to see the discipline in the way that they're approaching new products. I mean, Zach Kirkhorn made a mention on stage that they were going to not have multiple parallel projects. They, they were going to really choose which ones that they were going to do, and that was going to be their cost control. And then they were going to use that free cash flow that they got off of those projects to fund the next projects. And that was that was actually a difference for me following the Tesla since the IPO, that the extreme cost discipline. And I actually put it to two things. I mean, I think that after the Model 3 production hell that was an existential threat for the company, they never wanted to be in that situation again. You know, mm. there's, there, so you've seen this extreme drive toward cost efficiency, but I also think that with Master Plan 3 and the sheer enormity and breadth and scope of Tesla's goals, they're looking at how are we going to fund this? If other companies don't step up, if other companies don't see what we see that this is entirely possible, it is doable, it will actually cost less to move to a sustainable future than to continue to do fossil fuels, Tesla's going to have to be the one leading the way. And that's going to take extreme discipline and throwing off as much free cash flow as they can to be able to fund this, whether other people see the vision or don't see the vision. So those things are very interesting. What did you, what was your impression of Investor Day? Yeah, that's those are such such fascinating points. There's so much there I want I want to drill in. Um, I I thought that the the grandness of the vision was very on brand. You know, it's like, hey, here's our our uh, twenty year, thirty forty year master plan <laughs> that we're trying to achieve. Yeah. and it's and it was very much it was the complexity. There was a lot more complexity to it than I thought the last two master plans. Uh, because if you really think about the sort of advancements Tesla has made in the last uh, 10, 15 years, you know, since since they IPO'd, uh, they had to be extra focused on just get the car to be affordable. And then it's like, okay, let's get as many cars as possible and then dabble in energy and then throw in autonomy. And now it's like the entire economy is different now, you know? <laughs> it's like it's like, okay, cool. So the the scope of it. So so from that perspective, I had a feeling that the I thought the content of it was phenomenal. The the one thing that I was struggling with is it seemed like Tesla was trying to do a Tesla presentation with a Tesla vision that was catered to as many people as humanly possible, but it was done in a Tesla way. And to me, this seemed to be like it was like conflicting a little bit because it's I think it was tough to absorb for a lot of people because it was Tesla's attempt to not be like Tesla in, in a way of communication. But they can't yeah. help it because once you throw everybody up there that works at Tesla and they're all engineers and super, you know, like they have that brain, that specific type of brain that's required to really achieve those big goals. There, there, you know, there is conflict. And so from that point, I thought uh, the the presentation, just from a presentation perspective, uh, hurt a little bit. But the content of it was mind blowing, was completely insane. And it was very on brand. Um, I thought. They unveiled a Gen 3 car without unveiling a Gen 3 car, which was uh, a very uh, quite quite a unique way of of unveiling your next car. You basically yeah. have all the pieces you needed to kind of figure out what this car is going to look like. And uh, mm -hmm. it opened my eyes to 
perhaps how much a certain kind of like tied to the comment you made around institutional investors a little bit and analysts, how much um, those folks might be looking for hardcore details that they can model out and really think about in the short to medium yes. term and how little they enjoy having maybe um, nuggets of information that have to be backed up by execution first. But then when I'm thinking about that, I'm like, OK, you have a company that has a track record of execution. So it's almost like we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt from an execution perspective when you feel like the presentation wasn't as complete as you would have hoped. So those are sort of my my uh, my overall thoughts. Um, yeah. And I think I think the showcase of the talent was incredible. I think somebody said this in a tweet. They were like, um, you know, it, it's funny because people are like, oh, Elon Musk needs a bench. And then once he shows his bench, he's like, oh, my God, Elon Musk needs to be more involved. I'm like, which one do you want, bro? Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, which one do you want? You know, make up your mind. So those were my those those were my overall overall thoughts. Um, I think let me let me pick your brain a little bit on the parallel stuff, because that, that's a very interesting yeah. uh, thing, comment you made. So were they did you gain an insight in how they're going to get to their goals by 2030 without running parallel projects? Because I feel like. You know, in, in, in what context are those parallel projects? Are those uh, new products or is it factories? Like what, what was the context of that like parallel project comment that they made? Yeah. So that was that was actually in, in, in the keynotes by Zach Perfarn. And it's, it's not that inconsistent with things that uh, have been said in the past in earnings calls where Elon Musk has said we were. We have way too many ideas. So, I mean, I definitely think that all the parallel projects we already know about are going on, which would be, you know, AI as a service, Dojo, uh, FSD, Optimus, is it, you know, we even saw it on the stage, uh, the video at Investor Day, even though many thought that we weren't going to see it. And we, yeah. and we actually saw it walking around. And a lot of the people that are robotics experts had said, you're not going to see an untethered optimist for a very long time. That's so solving the we problem of balance <laughs> is like, is, is a big thing. And yeah. not only do we see an untethered optimist, I mean, yes, it was probably a program, not AI doing it, but we saw an optimist helping put together another optimist. So, you know, yeah. so it's def we, we see the areas of first focus and we know that there's probably still have some small teams working on the next things in the background. I mean, I would be very surprised if at some point Tesla didn't step up and do a heat pump. But I, I think that they might allow other companies see first if they need to. The same philosophy that Tesla has, whether they vertically integrate or not. You know, Tesla will go, go out and first put a call out to their suppliers and say, hey, this is what our plans for growth are. You know, in the year 2026, we're going to need this much, this many metric tons of lithium. Can you do it? And then mm -hmm. if they can't do it, now Tesla will look into getting, do I need to get a lithium refinery? Do I need to get a lithium mine? Where's the supply constraint coming in? And I think that something like the, all, all the elements of Master Plan 3 will be a little bit like that. Is somebody else stepping up and doing heat pumps? And mm -hmm. if not, Tesla has the expertise. It would make a, a nice Tesla home ecosystem. So, like, I think that those those it's not that those products aren't there, but they're really focused on this Gen three platform ramp. They're really mm -hmm. focused on FSD. They're really focused on Optimus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's. So that's what was good. your impression? Yeah, I mean, I I thought for me, it's like 
I I might be a little too kind in this respect that I think Tesla, when they say they're going to do something that will get it done, regardless of how long it takes. And I give them such a, a huge benefit of the doubt because I saw it. I was there, you yeah. know, and I talk about this on my channel is like when I when I'm surrounded by these incredibly smart, hardworking people that I've never I've just never been exposed to that sort of talent pool that is not only great at thinking but they're also great at action and putting into place because those are two very different skill sets you know usually you have individuals that are uh, extremely good at ideas and vision and like long term and oh my god it's a great idea let's do it and it's very difficult and then once you have to do the work it falls apart because it requires a different skill set and then on the flip side you have people that are extremely hard working and they know how to get it done but typically that vision and that sort of long-term thinking is not necessarily part of that skill set they just seem to be you know two different parts of the brain not that one's better or worse it's just two different ways of approaching things and tesla's just filled with both they're just they're just individuals that can do both all the time their vision you know thirty thousand foot you know best case or, or best solution or best strategy for any, any specific thing and then they also can get their hands dirty and make stuff happen and they have leadership qualities to rally the troops around them that's sort of backed by that culture and so when i hear them talk about these these goals and these uh things that they have in mind that they want to get done i'm like yeah it gets, it's going to get done it's going to get done it's going to get done especially the if if the existing if the technology if the technology is already there to get it done like in the in this case the Gen three platform as an example I'm like yeah this thing's going to be an incredible sure surefire success and once it launches it's going to destroy everything and the car market's going to be upside down and you have this economy right now it's just going to be wild you know we're thinking about sort of where the economy's at uh, today I mean let, let me ask you this question so around this Gen three platform um, I I have a feeling that the timing of that car couldn't be better because it seems like the backdrop of the car market uh, has a it has a gigantic gap when it comes to affordable compelling cars especially in the United States and especially given that given all a lot of the economic data a lot of people are hurting and struggling because they're running record credit card debt record uh mortgages record everything and they're struggling and when i talk to people on the on the street like just real people that are out there trying to live their lives you know, they're, they're, they're complaining about high food prices. They're like, man, I can barely freaking pay my rent, right? There's a lot, this huge backdrop. And now as the car market gets more expensive, you have Tesla coming in with this $25,000, whatever car that should just destroy, you know, just eat everybody's lunch. How, how do you see the release of that car? What do you like in the next three to five years, what sort of vision do you have for the execution for this car and how it's going to hit the market? I think that it's going to be, a massive scale up to the point that nobody is giving Tesla credit for. And, and, you know, they, they dropped the, like the nuggets of that at, at investor day, like, uh, it, Tom Zhu was on, on the keynote said, we can build multiple gigafactories at once. We mm -hmm. like, we're not limited on bandwidth on how many, on how many we can build. And then they talked about, even though Elon Musk rolled his eyes about the copy and paste of the gigafactory. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we won't call it copy yeah. and paste. We'll call it replicate with innovation. <laughs> because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, the, but the idea of the factory as a product, I mean, that's, that's been a goal for such a long time. And I, I am with you, but it's so interesting to hear your perspective, having been there. That's always been my impression on the outside looking in, but to, to hear from somebody that was inside that I've always felt that when Elon Musk and Tesla has set a goal, 
I have always seen it happen. Maybe it hasn't happened in the time frame that they initially thought it could. And I think that Tesla's a lot wiser now and not pinning themselves down to time frame, even though, even though like on the last earnings call when Elon Musk was like, yeah, like 1.8 million. Oh wait, yeah, but, but I mean, we're planning 2 yeah. million. He unsandbagged <laughs> himself <laughs> immediately. Yeah, <laughs> it was wild. He walked yeah. it back like within seconds. Like yeah. That. Yeah, it's a, it was a very Elon thing to do, I guess. <laughs> it was. It was such. A, it was such yeah. a, but I, I don't think it's accidental that they're bringing the Gen Three to the market, particularly with the macro environment that's going on at this mm. time. You know, there was warnings from Elon Musk a year ago, a year and a half ago, that this was coming, and Tesla, with te the capability of Tesla's engineers, they certainly can ramp that program up quicker. They can certainly choose the location, the Gigafactory Center. And I think we're going to be surprised at how very quickly they break ground on that Gigafactory. And I think we're going to be surprised on how quickly the factory is commissioned, which I'm, I'm looking for maybe nine, nine, nine to 11 months from breaking ground. They're shooting for nine, but let's give them to 11 or 12. Yeah. Let's not set yeah. an expectation. Yeah, <laughs> let's give them a little bit of margin of error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What uh, did you get a gauge on how most analysts were um, uh, sort of receiving the information around 20 million cars by 2030? They, they, like, you know, you spoke about they don't want to uh, stake their reputation on the line with super lofty goals, I guess. Yeah. But did you get a gauge on how they were receiving that information? And uh, I, I don't think they did. I mean, mm. we can see that with the price targets. And because e even though there's the there's the short term and short-term price target, their models normally include data up through 2030 because what the stock is, is like it's a present value adjustment of where they think the stock is going to go to. And I, I had an interesting uh, live stream with Gary Black, which was very informative to me. And he looked it up and the number was 6.5 million even after investment day is what analysts have in their models for 2030. Wow. Just 6.5 million of 20 million. And Tesla showed how not only can they do 20 million in production, but they can do it sooner than 2030, very likely. And they've moved that goal up to sooner than 2030. So, and they have even less than that. They don't even have 40 gigawatt hours of energy in their models for 2030, which is what Lathrop can produce. Wow. Wow. So that, that potential upside between the gap between what Wall Street is modeling and what Tesla has said they can do. And if you have a belief like you you have, or like I have, that if Tesla says they're going to do this, that they're gonna do this, um, is pretty significant. But at the same time, everybody thought that the 50% cost reduction could happen. So like there's a, almost a cognitive disconnect there yeah. with, with until they have more data, they're just not willing to update these models. Why do you think that exists? Like that, that I've always tried to put pieces together. It's like it, it can't it surely just can't be uh, you know, well, I just don't I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt. It can't be that simple, can it? Or or can it? <laughs> no, it can't because they give yeah. GM as Jeff Lutz points out time and time again, they give GM the benefit of the doubt with zero reason to do yeah. it. They give Nissan the benefit of the doubt, who just had their credit downgraded and is having extreme production problems and supposed, you know, now we're hearing all these, again, parts shortages on, on the competition EVs because 
production is hard. So it's easier to blame a part shortage than to say, we can't get the production out, done on this car and Tesla made it look easy, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder how much of that is, is coming to, you know, bite legacy automakers in the butt now. Cause you really think about, you know, the way I think about Tesla is like, they're really the only mass market EV, at least say in the, in the Western hemisphere, truly that is built out of supply chain that's able to support an affordable mass market vehicle truly mass market vehicle in the next few years i i don't see this from any other automaker not ford not gm not volkswagen nobody i think has secured nearly as much no. uh supply uh supply chain partners uh, suppliers tier one tier two tier three tesla has been doing this for the last 10 years uh and and everybody else has just really begun in earnest if you compare, you know, your Ford, for example, the Mach-E, I think they did uh, almost, uh, they're going to be, be doing 100,000 units globally this year yeah. uh, for a car that's more expensive than the Model Y. I don't know how, you know, how does that bode for the next, you know, one to three years? And I just, I don't I know why that's not obvious. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, and I sound like such a douchebag saying that. You know, I don't want to be like the guy on YouTube saying, "Look at how smart I am," and you're not. I'm truly, I'm truly trying to find my gap in my thought process. This, this is why you know I bring on people to talk about this because it's like it, to me, it just appears so freaking obvious. And literally, the only variable, the only variable is execution. Is do you have the right people to execute this? And the company has had the people for the last ten years. So right. what's the likelihood that's going to happen? You know, I don't know. Yeah. And I feel like I'm just like ranting. <laughs> no, I no, I, to I totally agree. I think maybe one of the things is that they're not willing to say it, but they're giving legacy credit for the bailouts that might be coming. <laughs> but you think the, so? But the, but the reality in my mind is it doesn't matter how cheap you would make a legacy car. If it doesn't have over-the-air updates, if it doesn't have... This, this super, even though they now have access to the supercharger network, but if, they, if it doesn't have the engineering and the safety of a Tesla, if it doesn't have the features of a Tesla, if it doesn't have the full self-driving, I don't want it at any price. And, uh, and I, as an airline pilot, I can say definitively that that is real. After COVID, you couldn't, there was, you couldn't pay someone to get on an airplane the first month of COVID. You know, mm. I, the staff, we did it because we had no choice, we had no choice, but like people wouldn't, there, there's a reality that sometimes it doesn't matter what the cost is. If the demand's not there, it's not there. So I think that the, they're giving legacy credit of we think that they're going to get mailed out. This is a massive amount of jobs. It's it's like the entire industry and towns. But we can see they just keep slipping further and further behind. Like if you know, if you look at just they're they're not going to have forty eight volt wiring, and and Tesla will. And so like the difference right there in the cost of production of a car are enormous, you know, in both the amount of wiring, the amount of copper that you need, the, the weight of the wiring, the time of the production. I mean, like that advantage right there is, is enormous. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you this question. So you've been, you've been in the story since IPO, you know, you've, yes. you've been an investor since IPO. And uh, so that was what, 2010, 2011, 2010. 2010. 
So you've been in this name for 13 years, Amy. Yeah. Okay. So you've seen a lot. You've seen. Obsessed for 13 yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> you've seen the first profitable quarter in 2013. You've yeah. seen the, uh, the, the fudge storms. You've seen, uh, t- you know, Tesla going through production hell. You've seen them getting really, um, you know, very ambitious with the Model X and almost failing without even reaching the Model 3. You've seen them um, getting shorted to hell. You've seen Elon Musk uh, looking extremely tired on camera constantly and trying to get this thing done. You've seen Elon lose his mind on Twitter more than once. Uh, (laughs) You've seen the stock explode, uh, especially around COVID. um, And you've seen him buy Twitter. Yeah. Can you, for for me, can you like, what are the highlights of, of the last 13 years and what are the lowlights? Like, can you name just a couple of things on either side that really stick out as, as part of the story? I'm just really curious. Like, what, what are the things that stick out for you? Yeah, the, the highlights definitely is um, Model 3 reveal. I mean, that was, that was absolutely incredible. I, I went and I, I stood in line. Mm. Um, but before I saw it to like put my deposit down, I still haven't got the car yet <laughs> because I don't actually drive. <laughs> oh my God. You still, you still have your reservation? <laughs> yeah, I, still, I had the wow. oldest Model 3 reservation, I'm sure. That's awesome. <laughs> but I, I really, I don't, I don't drive a lot because I can, I can hop on airplanes for like next to nothing. So mm. I, even between San Francisco and Tahoe, I fly. So, okay. Okay. Nice um, <laughs> But that night, actually seeing the car that I'd stood in line for three hours to go and reserve come on the stage, it was just absolutely stunning. It was it was the most beautiful car. And then they had that counter behind the head that was just flipping over with all the re- all the reservations. I, like, I actually almost cried. <laughs> it was like it was so incredible. Wow. It was like it was such a moment of. Um, like all the dreams being realized that the first model master plan was we're going to build the roadster and then we're going to use that to fund the model S right. And then we're going to use that to fund the model three and people will want it. And it was the same demand questions, which is really kind of full circle. It's interesting that you're asking this that we're seeing now with the gen three platform is that we're, Elon Musk is saying people will want it, and analysts are saying no, they won't. And that moment on stage with Model Three revealed, they only had to see the car on the stage, and they had hundreds of thousands of reservations within a month, you know, yeah. and over a hundred thousand reservations that night. Like it was absolutely an incredible moment in the history of Tesla. The first profitable quarter, like I couldn't believe it when I saw those numbers come across because. You know, I've always like set my alarm and like I don't miss an earnings call. I don't miss numbers. Like I'm ch- refresh, refresh, refresh until they come yeah. up. So like that was absolutely amazing. Um, Optimus, like, like the idea that they're now doing this whole the 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 ambition that Tesla has is one of the things I love the most. And the fact that they're like, yeah, we're just going to go and we're going to build this robot. <laughs> it's going to change the world. And we're in, and not only that, but it's going to be affordable. So, you know, you're like, mo- if, when we get to the age that we need to be in a nursing home, we probably won't need to be in a nursing home. We'll have an optimist. We'll have a self-driving car and we'll be able to have independence in our lifestyle. I mean, talk about a complete difference. Yeah. What about what about some of the lowlights? 
what other things that stick out to you? Like, damn, that was a tough time. What comes to mind? Just the, the, the FUD. I mean, like, they, yeah. the, I, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't even tell my friends that I was like all in in Tesla because they would just get so worried for me. They would mm. absolutely, it would absolutely stress them out. <laughs> like I, every time I made the mistake of telling someone, then then every time I saw them, they'd be like, but Amy, there's like, there's this article and there's this article. And then I would have to spend this time saying, but it's not true because of this, or it's not true because of that. And, and then like, you know, an hour later, I'd look up and I'm still talking about Tesla and my friends don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that 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 FUD stuff was rough. I, I was uh, I was at the company during that time. So I joined in 2017. And, you know, my friends knew I was, you know, I was the I was the annoying Tesla guy that wouldn't shut up all the time about, you know, Tesla. And, you know, you should buy Tesla stock. It's going to be incredible. You know, was that exactly. was that idiot, you know, running around telling everybody. And then during that FUD storm, you know, during those years and I, I was at the company and, you know, I had I would come home after a long shift. And, you know, my, my friends and family are like, are you sure, you know, like you should probably sell your stock. You should look for something else. I'm hearing a lot of stuff that's going on, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, OK, I don't need this after 14 hours, guys. Like, geez, like I've just like literally like about to collapse. <laughs> you guys are telling me you're doing the wrong thing. OK, I feel better. Not really. And then and then sort of seeing like the Rob Mowers and the Stephen Mark Ryans and these like, folks on on Twitter, you know, all the OGs. I, there's so many uh, to name and kind of seeing them. Uh, we, it felt like we were fighting for something, you know, because yeah. everybody was against us. And then seeing that was awesome. It was really cool. And I think it helped a lot of people at the company. And a lot of those folks are seen as like huge, not just, you know, cheerleaders of the mission and all that stuff, but they, everybody brings so much value to the space. And it's just so, such a different, weird thing. And, and, and I don't know how long you've been sort of investing and how long you've been in, in that part of the world, but like how how different is this retail story, like in retail investing story versus other things you've potentially seen in the past? Like, can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, actually, I mean, this was my first major investment, but I okay. um, was was a little bit in the finance world world briefly to help fund my flight my flight instruct my flying lessons. Um, okay. So yeah, when I was in in the finance world, you don't have this, and and like. You know, being at investor day, there's some things that as a retail investor, I understood that two shifts was was they're each 12 hours, but you have two shifts, but three crews because they don't they they rotate it around. And, the, you know, that was something the analysts didn't know. But as a retail investor, I did know because we just get we get really deep in the weeds and then right. and we're, we're educating each other and like, you know, little things that we pick up on. Um, is is just amaz amazing and i agree with you i think that the og youtubers they were really part of changing some of the narrative around tesla Huge. at a time when nobody else cared to change the narrative and you know you like you need that starting you need that that propelling forward um it really was i think it really was big and then some let's give credit to like andrea james who was one of the first analysts yes that was going on tv and she, and she was huge i mean she was she's standing out there on the ledge all on her own you know yeah. saying this company is going to be enormous and she would always come back to have you driven the car you know like yeah. do you even do you even know what you're talking about when you say that it's not special you know like yeah. but 
Yeah, so so there was some of those first people like that too that were and the Tesla Motors Club, the online forum, uh, was, were all resources of of the truth of the true information. And then the earnings calls themselves. I, I don't ever understand why what's happening on the earnings call isn't given more credit by by Wall Street, by the press. Because listening to every earnings call, and you've done the same, right? Don't you normally mm -hmm. see that what they say in the earnings call is exactly what's going on and exactly yep. what happens? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. I, I think it has to be, there has to be a, a, a sort of level of ego, I think, involved in a lot of these uh, sort of lack of lack of giving yeah. uh, Tesla credit because maybe they feel like, well, you know, I just uh, I just don't think they're going to get it done. You know, maybe the, the story is too good to be true. Maybe that's some of it, too, is, you know, you've seen this sort of story play out. And there's this part of human psychology that says, well, at some point they can't do these insane things. You know, they can't <laughs> do these insane things. But I wonder, maybe maybe a lot of the doubt comes from the fact that these folks perhaps haven't done the diligence, you know, because they, they don't track only Tesla. They track multiple names that's and they true. have. You know, so maybe they haven't done the diligence that the impossible is actually not as impossible as it sounds. It's just uh, you have a collection of extremely driven individuals that are actually approaching the problems in the best case scenario, which is allowing them to have outsized results versus everybody else's usual. Well, I'm going to employ 100,000 people and only 2,000 of them are going to be doing the work. Whereas if Tesla hires 100,000 people, a hundred thousand of them are going to be doing the work. And I think maybe that is not well understood. I think I, maybe that's what's at the root of it. It's just, you know, I think the folks there may may have changed. You know, I, I, I talk about this a lot is like the the culture of having a startup type environment scaled to a hundred thousand plus people is I think Tesla's true moat differentiation yeah. is that. It's it's the machine that builds the machine that builds the machine. The culture is the first thing you need. You know, it's a collection of people. It's just people building things and people right. dreaming up ideas. And perhaps that's not that's not that's not well understood. And you would think when these folks go to these meetings and they talk to management, you know, I I I would recommend every institutional investor just gets a job at Tesla for like six months. Just go work at the company. <laughs> just go go work at the company and then get a job at GM or Ford for the next six months. And then that ne that year, call that your research period. And then come <laughs> back and tell us if if you agree or disagree now with sort of this bull thesis that retail has come up with. I don't know. I think about this I stuff a lot. I think that was exceptionally yeah. well said, especially about the, the, like the startup culture that Tesla still has managed to keep at over a hundred thousand employees is pretty incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, as a pilot, the, like the decision-making process is very, is very focused on what's most important and mm. like clearly defining the problem, making sure we've got the problem right. And then once we have the problem, right, like what's our most important thing that we need to fix here? What's our first step? And then we have checklists to help us out. We have procedures, but then we always like circle back. Now, did that work? Was that that was that what we expected to happen? And that was one of the things that always impressed me about Elon Musk. And then in Tesla's execution, as I saw it play out, there was such a clear focus on what is our problem? What is our goal? What are we doing for it? Is that working? Do we need to do we need to modify this? And it was it was the way that Tesla approaches problems seemed to me to be just completely different than any other company that I'd ever seen. Was that like that for you working there? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I think the way the way they achieve that, and I've tried to give this so much thought in the past. I think the amount of trust the company places on on the people they hire is what allows them to be so quick, because yeah. you you get the keys to the company very quickly. You know, they basically you know the anti handbook handbook, which I think everybody has seen. It's this you know two three page document that basically says do the right thing. We hired you for a reason. We're going to trust you with a lot of stuff. Don't worry about hierarchy. Just talk to the people that you need to talk to, including Elon, and just you know trust your teammates and go as hard as you can. Okay, that seems pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. But every company can say that, right? Every company can say that. There's entire consulting firms and and companies that are built from this from scratch to try and teach these companies things. The whole agile methodology is based around this thought process that hey, just do agile. And you'll be fine, and you'll be Tesla. But the problem is, if you don't have the culture and the people that truly take that to heart and want to move that forward, it will never happen. You'll just add another layer of complexity, and you'll have people at each other's throats saying, "Well, agile this," and then people are like, "I've been here twenty years. I don't care about you. Like, just leave me alone. I want to live comfortable." And then that person goes, gets a review, and they get a three percent raise, and then they get to continue to do nothing for the next year. And it's not like they're bad people. It's just the culture. It's the right. culture of the company. And so the the way Tesla operates, from my experience and from hearing you talk about the you know the leadership that you've spoken with, I have friends that work there. The information I keep hearing is that it's that culture is alive and well, and it all stems from Elon Musk having that just unrelenting attitude about that culture. Is that you have to trust the people, but you have to hire the right people. And um, I think that that's an outsized advantage. And I think the mission of the company really allows them to very um, strategically pick and choose who joins. Because from my experience, the people that joined were very passionate about their mission, and they're very passionate about the sort of how the leader conducts himself, and you know, leading from the front, not just walking the walk, and not and not and not actually not talking the talk and not walking it. He actually walks it as well. Mm -hmm. And seeing that is extremely powerful. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that sort of gave additional light, but that's, it's just, and and so when you see that, you know, and again, I, I could be, I'm always worried that I have rose colored glasses on and I'm some sort of crazy person on the internet, you know, saying these things, but I, I, I just, but it you know. It can't be the case because we know that, I mean, everyone up on that stage uh, on investor day, most of them had over 10 years. They have stock exactly. options. They're independently yeah. wealthy at this point. Yeah. They do not need to be working. But why are they working? Because it is an exhilarating place if you are an engineer and if you to be able to use all of your capabilities to to be have on this mission that's like this bigger than you that will change the world for your, your children's children, you know, and I do like I I just was really moved by Master Plan Three. <laughs> I know that makes me geeky, but I, I like. But it's the, cool. The, but the, like the the scope of that ambition, the, like the we're gonna actually change the world. Tesla will change the world because it's got to start somewhere, and Tesla I think is gonna unfortunately play a much bigger role in changing it than they want because they're gonna have to bring it, kick the can way down the road before other companies get involved but like that mission is clearly important and you know i work because i love my job i i've done well enough with tesla that i wouldn't have to work now but i love flying an airplane so i continue to work because i love it so i understand the difference of going into a job because it's meaningful and yeah. and you know it gives you a pride and the the joy that comes from doing something that you really love to do 
And you know what's interesting too is like the my my community and I tried this project before is like how many companies can have that type of culture where it's like it almost feels existential or 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 it really strikes that chord of of passion, you know, which is really at the root as to why I think Tesla is so successful, just as as you said it. And I, I I don't know how many companies exist that can do that, you know. So it's like the Tesla has sort of uh, has this Venn diagram of incredible passion and then incredible talent <laughs> and then extremely profitable. Like it's those so three true. things. It's like what the hell? <laughs> so, so true. How many how many companies exist that can have that sort of uh, you know overlap? I don't know. It's, it's, like, it's, it's not wild. it's not an it's not an accident like you, yeah. you get it it's almost it's almost a sad comment on society these days but it's like it's cool to not be excited about things you know like yeah, right? i have to apologize for finding master plan 3 moving because it's not cool to to like be super excited about something or or to be positive or hopeful about the future but i think in tesla you have a whole company of people where that's actually is the cool thing and it's cool to be smart and it's and it's cool to have a new idea or want to do things differently and it's even cool to like look at a process on the on the production line and say this is our bottleneck and we're going to fix this today and we're going to feel really great that we fixed this this one thing that was slowing the line down. Yeah. What what do you think that has happened? That's such a such an interesting and I agree with you with that observation. Why do you think that has happened? Why are we here? Negative cells. <laughs> I mean like negative negative news cells and I I, I um I did have a write up for Silicon Valley owners group about Master Plan 3 and I was looking at it, I'm like this almost feels like Y2K to me that, you know, like leading up to Y2K, it was this for people that are too young to remember in, in the 1900s, they coded, they coded dates uh, on computer programs with just the last two digits. So there was a real concern. It was a legitimate concern that when it turned over to 2000, all these computer programs were going to crash, particularly the legacy government programs, the airline programs, all these things that we know run on this massive archaic infrastructure where it's even hard to read the code and figure out where everything is. So it was like massive and massive amounts of headlines. And while those headlines were going on, you had computer programmers just quietly doing the work, fixing the problem. There was no fanfare about it. Year 2000 came, it was all solved. But we never had articles about why were they so wrong about calling doom about Y2K mm. afterwards, right? And, you know, Master Plan 3, I think it is a little bit of that where it, you needed people raising the alarm about the climate crisis or it would never have been fixed. I mean, for, like I said, like first you have to clearly define the problem. But then the news and the selling the fear and, you know, the end of the world is coming. That all sells a lot of newspapers, it doesn't sell newspapers to go out and say, okay, Tesla's done the math and it actually is gonna cost the world less to move off of fossil fuels and to move to sustainable energy. And these are the numbers, 1% of the gross domestic product of the year, a year for the next 10 years and we're there. I mean, like these are very doable goals. Do we see any headlines about that? Nope. Like, because it, like, it, like I hope, unfortunately it doesn't sell. Interesting. That's a fascinating observation. Never thought about it that way. So what so what what the likeliest outcome here, hopefully, is that 
we'll never go into a true climate crisis and then nobody will say anything about it. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's always been like this. What, what are you talking about? It'll, you know? it'll just be, it'll yeah. be, it'll be accepted like there's there's some other quote like first they doubt you then they mock you and then they accept it as self-evident all along <laughs> like i yeah. don't remember exactly how it goes but <laughs> yeah first first they uh doubt you then they laugh at you then they fight you then you win yeah something yeah. like that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really i mean it, that's like that's the uh the, the the thing that just keeps playing out over and over again with this story i'm just so surprised that we're still here you know 13, 15 years later or whatever, that it just, it, the story keeps repeating over and over and over and over again with everything this company does. And it's, yeah. it's, it's so fascinating. And you would think that when you have executed the Model S, the Model X, the Model 3, the Model Y, when all these cars become best-selling in their, in their class by far, and the Model Y is just, it's just in a completely different stratosphere. And, you know, you have, Things like, you know, the same leader uh, created a company in SpaceX that has reused, what, like a hundred some odd rockets already. <laughs> They're sending astronauts to space. It's given America the ability to become an independent uh, ro rocket thing where they yeah. don't have to rely on other countries. <laughs> exactly. You're telling me that guy can't get a compact car out, guys? For right. real? For real? You know? Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm sounding like a douchebag again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, and I, I also you know? was totally geeking out. I don't know if you were too, about the details that they were releasing on the Gen 3 platform and how I they're was. going how they're going to make this happen. Like the 48-volt architecture, we already talked about that. That's mm -hmm. huge. Um, the unboxed construction, that video yeah. that Tesla had in the, in the thing. I've watched it at least 30 times. <laughs> <laughs> What are the things that stick out to you? Like, well, tell me about it. I'll, I'll have producer yeah, so work bring it up. Yeah. The unbox construction for me is very interesting because that's the way that they've produced airplanes for years. If you think about like how big a 787 is, you, it's not going down an assembly line with the with the pieces being added on. They're they're putting it together in modular sections of fuselage, the wings, the engines, and then they're assembling it all together so that you know they can be working on many parts of the 787 at the same time. The 787 was the first airplane that actually maybe went too far, but they, they subcontracted out even different sections of the airplane to different suppliers and then had them all meet up. So it was, it was fascinating for me from that standpoint. And then from geeking out on engineering like I do, the things that made a 787 so much more efficient than every airplane that's come before I see many of those aspects in the Gen 3 platform. So wiring was one of the big things that a 787 does. Is it, it has a distributed wiring system where it has just a few big wires and it has these remote power distribution units that will go ahead and um, be the wiring at the source. So it dramatically cut down on the wires. Um, if you look at this, oh, this is great. You have the, uh, the unbox method up on the screen there. And Lars, Lars had an aerospace engineering background, which I, I thought was, was fascinating. So it's not an accident that, that we're seeing this. And then they talked about the controllers, the electro, electronic controllers for the car, that it will be 100% in-house on the Gen 3 platform. Did you pick that up when I they did. said that? Yep. Yeah, like that's going to be a huge, huge difference on being able to control how the car functions. And it, again, that's something that 787 did versus 767. Rather than having 
all these different computers. We have a couple computers that do that. We have several computers that back each other up, but we have they do they can all do the same functions and they can all back each other up. So that ability to cut down on semiconductors require expensive electrical components, even just the weight in the car. I mean, these were all these are all innovations to an extreme level that Tesla got zero credit for. And then we came out of investor day and everyone's like, they didn't announce anything new. I'm like, did you, <laughs> did you watch the same thing that I watched? Like all these innovations, they're, they're enormous. One alone, another company would be like, would have their stock go up a significant amount for announcing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I think what, what's interesting about that too is, you know, and, and Tom Zhu sort of uh, alluded to this was that the factories are going to built are going to be built from the ground up to accommodate for that um, for that thing for for that new style of uh, yeah um, producing the car. So then, where my head goes to is like, okay, so now Tesla is uh, any any factory that built from now on is going to be optimized for the cheapest uh, way to produce a vehicle by far versus anybody else that is building cars right now. And then my head goes to, okay, so now you have these legacy automakers that have these factories that are optimized for the most expensive way to build a car. So, you know, like the layouts are, <laughs> are made in a way so that it's, you know, you have 17 different buildings <laughs> one of them is this the other one is that this one's this and tesla's like well no now you have the, the factory you know and it's optimized for this ch cheaper way of building the car and the, the factory as a product i think it finally finally has gone off in my head what that means is that the factory is the true differentiator it's not the gen 3 platform well, the transfer right. platform is a byproduct of that but it all starts with the layout of the factory and what parts of the factory are responsible for what and how you build a factory that accommodates that sort of parallel type of uh, manufacturing processes that bring stuff together. So then you need your beam placements have to be different. What teams are in what part of the building need to be different. Your dock doors need to be different. How the material flows in and out of the building is needs to be different. Um, and, and this is like, I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Tesla <And> wins. <laughs> and it's so hard to replicate. You know, like Sandy, yeah. Man, I, I, I did get to talk to Sandy Monroe and I'm like, God, what an amazing guy. Oh my God, such he's the a, best. Such an amazing guy. And he actually has something to do with the 787 design. So, which I thought found particularly cool. But, um, you know, he can tear down a car and he can go to other manufacturers and that's that's what he does and say, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. But Tesla's differentiator is gonna be exactly what you said. A factory, you can't tear down. You can't tear down that that flow, that the flow of materials in, in through the door. And, you know, they also, the legacy auto just has the legacy system of, of so many levels of suppliers and outsourcing and the whole assembly comes in and then you got to leave room for the tolerances to be able to like match it up. And it is, Tesla doesn't have any of that. And we, we do have a feeling with the Gen 3 platform that they're going to cut out some of the sub assembly of suppliers just because they've removed the parts from the car. That's the best way to 
focus on the suppliers that have really worked. And was that during the keynote that they were talking about that? But somewhere I just recently read or heard them talking about that they, with the suppliers, Tesla's been evaluating them and they've been sending out, you know, this is how much we need and they're seeing who can execute. And they've been really narrowing down now who the partners are that Tesla mm. wants to work with because these are the people that are going to be able to scale on the massive level. So they vetted these suppliers and the suppliers are used to working at Tesla's speed and they know what Tesla's plans are. They know that Tesla wants to get to 20 million cars before 2030 and that they're not gonna need to be able to participate in that massive scale up. And you can tell that the feedback is good because the suppliers told Tesla we don't know if we're going to be able to have enough lithium refined clearly because then tesla went out and they got a lithium refinery so the, the there's enough information flowing back and forth there that tesla is already looking ahead of what are the blockers going to be and removing them and kicking them away like waffle house chair girl before they even become a thing and i i think that that's a really cool cool thing to see yeah. What I hear there is that Tesla is willing to have uh, honest discussions about where the weaknesses are. And uh, the, the what brings back to my sort of memory from working there is that it's because there's little ego involved in any decision making because people aren't really concerned about career building. They're concerned about just getting it right. And so if I, if I put that within comparison of, say, 90% of the auto market right now globally, maybe, yeah, some, probably more, that's legacy. Uh, from my understanding, the culture is very different. It's not so much focused on the right results. It's focused on when is my next promotion? How yeah. am I going to secure my legacy? Right. You know, what, what, what should I do to make myself look as good as possible? And so if you're in an environment that requires that sort of uh, decision making, that it's going to it's going to be hard discussions. Nobody wants to hear that your team is the one that's going to keep us from reaching our goals. My God, what right. an uncomfortable <laughs> conversation that is. But if you have a culture, again, goes back to the cultural discussion. If you have a culture that allows for that and maximizes for that, then you should have a, a path that's much smoother to that end result versus the rest of the players. So yeah. if if that's the case, what, what comes to mind is, like, OK, the competition argument is yet again uh, not valid. From no. that respect, because <laughs> now the TAM is going to be addressed by the person who is able to have those very honest, uncomfortable discussions with itself and its partners that are optimized around getting as far as humanly possible as a company versus how am I going to look on my resume, right? And, th and right. that's and again, that's another thing that comes to mind when you say that. So thank you for giving that insight because um, I, I, I don't know. I'm gonna shut up because I've just sound like the craziest no, like I, hyperbole. <laughs> I can't well, help myself. <laughs> we're, we're, we're both the same. <laughs> and, and, you know, and and like to that point, not only do, have they created that wonderful culture inside of Tesla, but that culture is there for the suppliers. Like there, I just yeah. uh, I had a tweet within the last month. There's rumors coming out that cattle had an overcapacity now of batteries because some of the Chinese EV manufacturers are ramping back. And Elon Musk has been on earnings call after earnings call telling suppliers, we will buy every battery that you can send us. So we, we hear about this oversupply coming out of China. There's some news articles being wrote about it. And then what do we see last weekend? You can now buy a power wall without putting solar on top of your house. So Tesla just pulled a lever 
They created a huge demand for extra batteries. Cattle goes on their, their last quarterly result earning call and they say, we have no oversupply. Hmm, I wonder how that happened. You know, so Tesla will, it has this wonderful relationship set up with their chosen suppliers where they are going to get the materials and they're going to also, as we saw during the chip shortage, get the priority over materials when there's a limited supply because it is a two-way street. And, and you just saw the, the flip-flop of, of that street where Tesla is like, we'll take all those extra batteries you have. Don't worry about it. We've got plenty of products we can put batteries in. Yeah. Wild. But but Amy, Tesla is not good at supply chain. Come on now. The legacy <laughs> automakers are good at supply chain. Tesla's a newbie. Ford yeah. and GM have been doing this for a hundred years. Yeah. What are you saying? Come what on. What am I saying? What am I thinking? Man, man. It's 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 wild. I think, you know, the do you view Tesla's product as fundamentally different than its competition, than its legacy competition? Like, is would you compare the Gen 3 platform to anything that is sold by by legacy automakers? How do you think about that? Absolutely not. No, okay. uh, because, you know, it's still going to be a Tesla and Tesla doesn't make slow cars. So it's, it's going to be the performance that is going to be there. Maybe not quite quite the level of like, fit and finishes of BMW 3 Series, but it's going to be a very beautiful car. It's going to have, it's going to be quick when people press on an accelerator and it's going to get over the air updates and it's going to have the capability to do full self-driving. How can legacy compete with that? You know, and we do see competition in China that's more realistic competition to Tesla. Um, BYD, we've just had that battery news playing out in the last like 24 hours, but they have ramped to an extreme amount of production in a very short time. Now these aren't all EVs. A lot of them are plug-in hybrids. Uh, some of them are, are, you know, fossil fuel cars, but the, the Chinese manufacturers do have the production capability. What they're not doing though, is they're not producing the cars with the profit margin that Tesla does, and they don't have this full self-driving component. So I think that that's going to be another differentiator for Tesla. Uh, do you think that full self-driving is going to be licensed by Tesla to other companies? I kind of think it will be because of the, I think just it will. the safety. I think it will. I think over time it, it definitely will. There was, a, there was a tweet that I made. Um, it was a, a couple months ago. It was when, uh, uh, when was it? It was, uh, I forget what it was. It was something about Facebook having a, monopoly on something or something or other or google having a monopoly or something but i made a tweet it was something along the lines you know today we're complaining about this software company having a monopoly and 10 years we're going to complain about a tesla fsd having a monopoly and uh elon replied and he's like accurate prediction i'm like okay yeah. so you're going to license this okay got it <laughs> so over time they definitely will i think uh they're probably good they're going to have to, i think it would work best if they you know they have to have the hardware ready for uh, outside manufacturers too. I think I think it's going to be paired with their uh, self-driving hardware. I don't think it's just going to be here's a or maybe I guess it doesn't have to be as long as there's cameras, right? Like how's that going to work? Like I wonder if the AI is smart enough to account for different camera placements, different types of cameras. As I'm guessing, as long as it has a a computer. But at that point, if you give them the computer for it, it's probably you're probably going to want to give them the cameras too, right? I'm yeah, just trying to think I about. 
Yeah. I would just think from a keep it simple standpoint, like just give them the whole solution <laughs> uh, on that part. Give them the cameras, the full self-driving computer and the software. So then Tesla doesn't have to be, isn't even there's a liability from edge cases. If it, if the camera is placed a different place and the ARI yeah. processes it separately differently because it hasn't seen that situation before. Um, I just like, I, I could see that being an issue. Yeah. So then that that means that the companies that license would then have to make sure that the way they manufacture their cars accommodates for that camera placement and the right. wiring and the harnesses, which is going to dictate a lot of the rest of the manufacturing. And I wonder if at that point, like, do they just buy the whole thing from Tesla? Like, like this would be in a full self-driving thing. And I, and I, and I would love to hear yeah. your thoughts about this. I've been sort of speculating about this thing where I think at some point this robo-taxi, this true robo-taxi platform is not going to be a full, like a, like a entire solution that's going to be provided by Tesla, but it's, it's going to be a, uh, maybe at first they'll have a self-driving thing with seats inside that face each other and it looks a certain way. But I'm thinking at some point they might just build a shell. And Sandy has talked about this, this box that um, you sell and it's bare in the inside, but it has all the cameras. It has the battery, the drivetrain. Maybe the exterior is like, you know, cyber looking. Right. And then you sell it to fleet runners and the fleet runners decide how to configure the inside. And so that way you sort of license out the platform by just allowing fleet runners to just buy the shell. And then they can figure out what to do with it. How does how does that sound? What do you think about that? Um, I actually, I I hadn't thought of it that way, and I completely agree. <laughs> that okay. that's it, that to me makes a lot more sense um, to do. And you know, it's not it's not that inconsistent from Tesla's beginnings. Tesla, one of the things that Tesla did at IPO was they had a big power powertrain business. They were selling electric uh, electric powertrains to Daimler and then to Toyota. And that was one of the things that they used to be, I mean, they weren't profitable, but to lo be losing less money. And it was yeah. definitely a part of the justification of why the stock would be worth anything at the IPO. So Tesla has actually even has a history of, of doing that in the past. And it, and once they're manufacturing is so much ahead of everyone and they've vastly simplified the building the box of the car in this unbox method with the with the continuously removing parts with using the castings um that that's a really really interesting thought that you have i i i really like that idea as a business model i just wonder like you know i come from the standpoint of elon and those guys always talk about you know the best part is no part and then at that at that point you're just outsourcing general assembly you're like right. just here's the box and then so if you remove a uh, 40 percent of the uh basically it's going to be a significant percentage of the square footage of manufacturing the car and fi finish out the manufacturing of the car. If you can just stop right before general assembly and that thing operates and you just let other people figure this inside out. Okay. Just let them do it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That's kind of where my, and then that way you just crank them out. You just freaking crank them out millions of units uh, a, a month or a quarter. And you just let other people figure out how to tailor the inside. Cause you think about, in a world where everything's self-driving in the next hopefully five to ten years, at least from Tesla, the in internal configurations are going to be very drastic depending on what you want to use that solution for. You might want it for 
leisure. Somebody else might want it for work. Somebody else might want to freaking have a concert inside their self-driving van, you know, have their drums and their guitars <laughs> or, you know, somebody else could turn into a hot tub. I don't know. Like who, yeah. who knows what the possibilities are when you essentially have a, a house on wheels. And so people make their houses be anything. Why wouldn't people make their cars be anything or whatever this unit of transportation is moving forward? Right. So I don't know. It might be cookie crazy, but that's kind of where my head goes. Yeah. I mean, they do do that with aviation with like business jets. They, like they exactly. basically, they sell, they sell the hull and then it's, it's vastly customized by, by whoever buys the airplane. So, you know, yeah. def- there's, there's even precedences and markets for that. Exactly. It would be like Tesla is, is a new Boeing or Airbus. And then, yeah. you know, you can have your uh, Virgin of autonomy. You could have your United of autonomy, your, uh, God forbid, your frontier of autonomy, you know, like, <laughs> or whatever. I'm joking around, obviously, but, uh, but you could have something like that, right? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. It, yeah. it, and the fact that they have, you know, Lars was in aviation and they're talking about aviation methods. Now you have like my, my whole brain spinning right now because all this could be possible. Yeah. Um, Man, what a oh, great conversation. I, I just <laughs> saw, I mean, this, yeah. this, I'm, I'm wondering if anyone in the chat knows anything more about this because this is brand new to me this morning, but that there's Idras at Lathrop. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering how there's, how those are being used. So it's, so it's a really interesting idea that they're taking these lessons from EV manufacturing and all the, uh, and all the improvements they've had of doing this. For, for now over a decade and going ahead and making it something that they're going to use in the mega pack um, manufacturing. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why Wall Street isn't giving a lot of credit to Tesla for energy yet, because for years up and through last fall, their battery component and semiconductor chip constrained and they couldn't really ramp the manufacturing. Now, if you, if you look at all those job openings for castings. Yeah, click on that image there, producer wife. Let's pull that up. Yeah. So a bunch of castings job roles in Lathrop. These, and they, these, yeah. Were they just They've posted been this there morning? since the fall. Um, last since fall. fall. It's just like it didn't wasn't something that people have been talking about. I want, yeah, this one, this one I'm curious because like how many, like when you think about power wall and power pack. And then look at this one, controls engineer self-drive unit, Lathrop casting. So is there also some type of new vehicle that they're working on there? Like, Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Controls engineer. It could also be that manufacturing in Lathrop. I mean, they, maybe they have a separate building. I'm trying to think what was that Lathrop. I know we had that big, that big warehouse, you know, the global distribution center. Then you have this uh, thing where it's the new Lathrop facility. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. What, what's interesting about this one is I wonder how much of the technology in a casting could be used in energy, right? Because all, all it really is is just a closet. Like if I'm thinking about the Mega Pack Two, which and is assemblies be the big, of batteries. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. So maybe the casting is streamlining the cabinetry in some in some form, or maybe like how the batteries are stored. I don't know. And you can do you can do a cast you can do castings on a much smaller scale than we think of if, like with the Model Y. We, you know, Model Y we're thinking of like this big structural component, but a casting can also just be to replace what used to be an assembly. So mm-hmm. a much like just a, a a better version of a part 
where you're replacing several parts together with a casting. In, in my mind, because we haven't actually heard of any large iterates, because those are those are being tracked, right? Like we're all wondering where that extra nine thousand ton idra <laughs> is <laughs> that, that went toward Asia, but but nobody knows where it ended up. So yeah. <laughs> it, so it's not in Shanghai. People weren't able to, to track it to the Shanghai Gigafactory. No, no? It, it, to my knowledge, there is still there's still an idra that is not confirmed to be a Tesla. But isn't okay. confirmed to not be a Tesla. Okay, so maybe a competitor bought one. Who knows? Maybe maybe they're well. There, there's a the couple that went, and one of them went to what I'm talking about. It went to a, a general parts manufacturer. So I it see. does. Um, so they're doing it. They they will do some maybe structural castings with it, but they're also doing assemblies and some smaller parts with the with the casting machine as well. Mm. It could also be. I wonder if maybe they are there. They might. Um, out not not necessarily maybe outsource the cast and just have it arrive to the factory so they can free up the square footage after a while and just have a company that just freaking casts for them just have yeah. a remote location that just you know and then you'll get boatloads of casts and they and they arrive and then you kind of lean it through the manufacturing process instead of having the cast thing machine on site i don't know there's a bunch of different possibilities i don't know which one's going to be more economical but who knows interesting that's fascinating yeah if there's anything in the comments producer wife around that uh casting machine and the energy bring it up but yeah i'm, I'm with you i don't know i don't know what's going to be um let's do q a in like five minutes amy how's that sound and then we'll sounds go to number 15 sounds good um china numbers uh i i saw that i think in the last 24 hours or so there was a report uh, around uh, the registrations for China coming in uh, above expectations. I think they came in at 17,000. Uh, when producer wife has a chance, she'll bring it up. Um, how are you thinking about Chinese demand? How are you thinking about European demand? Where's their head at with that? I don't think, I mean, <laughs> Elon Musk has said time and time again, Tesla does not have a demand problem. Tesla in, at some points can have an affordability problem. And so we, and he also said, and this has been, was largely ignored that small price cuts made a vast difference in the demand that was generated by it. And, and now we're seeing that play out. So people, I don't know why people thought he was what, lying, you know, but <laughs> I, this, these numbers are what I expected to see after he said that the small pr price cuts generated two times the production that that they had so it's it's really it's really interesting this yeah. also plays out with what the chinese industry experts are saying in china that they had expected january to be a soft month and that they expected the demand in february to dramatically increase yeah what do you view as uh as one of the biggest like things or concerns you hear my dogs in the background they're losing their minds. Yeah. they're excited about the chinese numbers that's why they're going crazy <laughs> like yes we're up um what what are some of the things that are uh maybe concerning or things you're tracking uh, from a you know from the booth both thesis perspective that we should keep an eye on how do you think about that energy for sure i mean like from um from the standpoint that energy is barely in the analyst models uh i am i'm really tracking the ramp up of late of lace rep production i'm looking for more mega factories, or maybe they start combining battery production within the gigafactories. But you know, Elon Musk has said that the demand for mega packs is quasi infinite. So I would really like to see 
that ramp. And furthermore, it is a very large piece of Master Plan 3. That you're simply not getting to that sustainable future with without the mega pack business. Um, I'm anticipating seeing, you know, we saw a couple of energy products underneath sheets. I'm mm. I'm in, I'm kind of thinking that there'll be a denser version of, of a mega pack. Um, mm. if, you, if you remember, like they there was Elon Musk was talking on the stage about the overcapacity of supply on batteries and that they they've they've contracted more batteries than they needed. And it was very easy to ramp up production or ramp down production on mega packs. Well, we also know though they're moving to a 4680 form factor. But you don't use 4680s in a mega pack, at least right now. Mm. And that was one of the questions that I'd asked um, at Investor Day. And one of the analysts was there and he's like, oh, but wouldn't that be overkill? Like, why would you want a 4680 in a mega pack? Well, actually, is it? Is it overkill? Because if you look at it, a mega pack is completely maxed out on what will go, what can be shipped on a road. They can't get it any bigger. If they want to produce more power out of a mega pack, the only thing they can do is That's have true. a denser battery within it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm surprised that a, a uh, institutional analyst would be surprised by that question. That's what I'm surprised by. Yeah, it's like it's, uh, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's dense. Yeah. No, but his, but his point is, if you're selling, if you're selling as much as you can possibly produce right now, why would you need? And if they're infinitely scalable, you know, like one mega pack is going to tower power three three thousand six hundred homes, but you yeah. can hook you can hook up a whole gigawatt hour of mega packs together. So why would you need a denser mega pack? I see. If that's the case, and one of the things that you look at with mega packs is they're really they turn on almost instantaneously. So one of their differentiators of like a lithium island I ion storage system for for utilities is it can turn on in 0.1 second or 100 milliseconds and this will either charge the grid or discharge the grid to stabilize it and then it ha also has that inertial element in in it similar to when you have the huge gas turbine spinning or a coal turbine spinning if if something went down the machines wouldn't spin down immediately they would keep moving and this allowed the utility a chance to go and repair the grid. If you use renewable energy, you lost that time. You, so if you lose if you lose the connection to a, a solar farm, it's just gone. And except if you have a mega pack installation that can turn itself on immediately, that's controlled by all the smart software. So there would be an argument that maybe you don't need a more dense mega pack. But if the second part of that would be Right now, the grid, we, we have very few grids that are pure solar. They're purely charged by renewables. So what happens if you want to charge batteries all, all day and then you want to discharge them for 12 hours all night? That's actually a different type of battery, a capacitator type of battery that's better at that. They have like, and that's what some of the competitors to Megapacks have. They have these molten salt batteries and they, they just charge up all day. It's like an hourglass and then they flip flop and they discharge all night long for 12 hours. That's not necessarily at the moment, the strongest use case for mega packs, but they Good. can be used that way. But a denser mega pack maybe would be better suited for a 12 hour discharge because right now they're rated at three hours, four hours, five hours. 
I see. So, so you 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 have batteries or capacitor type batteries or or whatever that technology is. That's that's you have individual use cases for that type of technology. So, um, okay, okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for explaining that. Look at that. I didn't even know that. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's so much well, stuff you just like taught me but, today. <laughs> but those batteries, they're they're huge. They're heavy. They're yeah. they're very round trip efficiency on them. Like a mega pack is like ninety three percent. These capacitator style batteries, they're only like eighty percent. They're not, they're, they're very, they're very inefficient and they take a very long time to like turn on. They can't stabilize the grid. So there's even a use case to have mega packs combined with these other types of batteries. But I those see. batteries on their own actually probably can't possibly be the solution because you have no grid stabilization. Not really. Gotcha. Like you would definitely have outages in between. Gotcha. Another vertical that Tesla's exploring that's not well understood and just you explaining it really highlights the, some of the complexities that are in it and the, the fact that they're working towards solving it is uh, it should uh, it should pay dividends at some point. We'll see. But I'm, right. I'm pretty confident in that part of the business because, again, it's a closet with batteries. Like I just I don't the complexity of it doesn't seem that that I mean, obviously, you got to do software, you, It's but it's not as hard as building a car. It seems like there's not as much as many parts. There's basically no moving parts. And it's just a matter of securing the the enough really high quality, very technologically advanced batteries, and then figuring out how to get them from point A to point B as cost efficiently as possible. And it actually fulfills a solution that is that that people are looking to be used for that can uh, give them very quick ROI and hopefully something that can be help them lower costs dramatically over time or potentially make them extremely profitable over time. So um, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm excited for the energy piece. You ready for some Q and A? Should we do some sure. Q and A? All right, perfect. So uh, producer wife's going to bring up questions for the community. Thank you all for uh, watching thus far. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, the quickest hour and 15 of my life. <laughs> love the conversation. So let's go ahead and bring up the first question. Uh, and then uh, we'll do as many as we can in uh, about 15 minutes. And then we'll call it a day. Brighter with Herbert. Shout out Brighter with Herbert. Make sure you go check out his <laughs> channel. Amy is on Herbert's channel uh, quite a bit. And they always have great, great conversations. Question. Ask Amy about her prediction for Gen 3. Her insights here made me rethink my own forecast. So what are your predictions for Gen 3? Well, this is specifically Herbert and I had a conversation about how much of the Gen 3 platform we thought was going to be in the Cybertruck production okay. line. And um, I think only pieces of it. I'm not, I because of the fact that it has that cold rolled steel, like with the origami folding on the exoskeleton. And I don't think that it was all completely designed from the beginning to be, a, be assembled from four sides going in together. And I think that Tesla as a company is moving away from producing a car contrary to the way that they designed it. They, you know, they said on the keynotes that that was one of the major problems that they had with the, with the Model 3 is they designed it to be built by people and then they tried to automate it. So when they designed the Cybertruck, we know they had the production team in the room we, we know that they had the designers in the room. We know we had the suppliers in the room and they all designed it together, but they designed it for a technique that probably wasn't an unbox technique because I don't think they had it then. But we don't know because they, they don't tell how long they've been working on the Gen 3 platform versus when they started the Cybertruck platform. But I think that they will be testing out and I actually had confirmation of this at the investor day that there are many of the pieces and components of the Gen 3 platform when they get to Giga Mexico and they start producing it, 
Tesla's, it's not going to be new for Tesla. Tesla already uses castings. Tesla already uses a structural battery pack. Tesla is figuring out the dry electro process on the 4680s right now and ramping and significantly adding to that production and it's all automated now, you know? So all those elements are already there and certainly quite a few of them are gonna go into the Cybertruck, but I don't think it's gonna be the full Gen 3 platform. Gotcha. Do you have any so thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think Cybertruck has been in development for too long for it to really benefit tremendously from Gen three stuff. To be honest, I think I think Gen and and again, if if we take Tom Zhu and others to their word, is if Mexico is being built with Gen three and three in mind, that implies that Austin, Berlin, and others will have some sort of inefficiencies built in that will not allow them to really gain the benefits of Gen three. And right. so uh, it it doesn't seem like a like a Tesla way to. Um, like they go all out, <laughs> right. you know, they want to do it all. So it's like, there's like, and there's iterative process, but for this platform, it seems like it would be a waste of effort because Cybertruck already is new. And then right. you throw another new thing on it. That's like a model X thing. That was like a lesson learned from model X. It's like, let's not do too many new things at once. So I agree. There might be uh, like small pieces they use, but yeah. yeah. Oh, and I have one piece of other information about that is that in talking yeah. about why, Austin is a bit slower to ramp than Shanghai. Shanghai, the production line is a straight line. And in Austin, it has to make some turns. And where those mm. turns are is actually a large part of the bottlenecks. And the reason why that's the case in Austin is because the Cybertruck has been given the straight line. But you don't need a straight line uh. in a Gen 3 platform. The whole idea in a Gen 3 platform is you're working on four sides of the car at once. Gotcha. Interesting. So, so do you think Cybertruck's going to ramp a lot faster than people think because of that? How do you think about that? I think so. I, I, I think that I, my feeling is that the Cybertruck is going to ramp very quickly because it's been designed from the beginning. I mean, that's the whole point of the cold rolled steel and the exoskeleton. It's been des designed for manufacturing, even though this manufacturing hasn't been done but they've been taking their time with the tooling, with the with the figuring out the manufacturing process so that when they start producing it, I think that I expect them to ramp way faster than people are giving them credit for. And it's particularly lightning fast compared to what Wall Street thinks they're gonna do. Yeah. Did you see that Adam Jonas thinks they're gonna be selling 50,000 per year of the Cybertruck at max ramp? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the number at for you? For, yeah. for like Cybertruck, I think I, I think the demand is huge for a Cybertruck. If you look at what a Ford F one fifty does, I mean it's it's millions of vehicles. Like I don't I don't understand why. I I guess I, but he's seen it in person. So that's if people have only seen it on stage, I I can understand a little bit more or or seen you know just like pictures of it. I can maybe understand a little bit more why they think it's going to be a niche vehicle, but when you see it in person and then you walk back out into a parking lot and you look at, and you walk, go, go into Austin, you see the old style trucks. They so instantaneously look dated. It's crazy. Yeah. Like this, the cyber truck is just absolutely stunning and gorgeous in person. I, yeah. it's not going to be a niche vehicle. It's like yeah. a, one of my comments was, it's going to be a fad the way, the way the iPhone is a fad. Yeah. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. I'm so excited for mine. Come on, <laughs> get it out. I want it. I want it. Thank you, Herbert, for your question. This is the next one. Ba -ba -da -da. Next question. And 
Uh, Hanif keeps uh, coming back to the streams. Thank you so much for your questions, man. I really appreciate mm -hmm. you. What does Amy think about Volkswagen uh, opening a gigafactory in St. Thomas, Ontario, in Canada for battery manufacturing? Have you heard of this news? Yes, I did just see that see that this came out. Um, I let's see, Ontario is this close to the um, to the Montreal uh, uh, lithium deposits? I, I know they're right is. next to each other, but yeah, like the provinces are next next to each other. But I don't know. Canada's a pretty big freaking. Uh, oops, let's see. So they got Ontario. I, I meant to see. look that up this morning of, of where specifically this is located, but I have a feeling that it's actually going to be a very um, very strategic location. So here's Ontario, Montreal's yeah. in Quebec, right? yeah so it's actually they're quite yeah. close then yeah they're definitely they're definitely as close as gigafactory mexico is to to texas to the suppliers to the sonora lithium deposit so it's it's, it's a strategic location for for a gigafactory but as we talked about tesla's expertise in building the machine that builds the machine is actually their prime advantage and I, I think that we're gonna maybe this is one of the things that finally makes wall street change their mind on how they evaluate tesla when they see that volkswagen opening a gigafactory doesn't go so smooth mm, unless point. they have unless they have all you know tesla's they can't even hire a tesla's construction team because tesla's construction team is in-house <laughs> <laughs> yeah great point yeah interesting to see uh, what, what they do with that thank you hannah for the question let's do the next one but ba -da -da, next question and be present great motto question <laughs> what is amy uh looking forward to uh the dogs also want to ask a question what is amy <laughs> looking forward to in tesla technology six months from now and five years from now six months from now i i would really like to see fsd um hit the mainstream and and, and full self-driving uh, I think I think that they're very close. The release of the single stack was one of the things that we've all been waiting for. Now you just they're now they're able to really just focus on the edge cases. They're no longer combining the stacks, which was diverting attention of a very talented staff to two big problems. Now you're just left with a very solvable problem with cars on the road helping define where the edge cases are. So that that would be my six months from now. And then of course the energy, I would really wanna see the massive ramp and energy. Five years from now for me is all about Optimus. Like I, yeah. Elon Musk has said, you know, he said energy is gonna be bigger than auto. And then he said that Optimus is gonna be far bigger than both of them. And the, the way that that is gonna change society when Optimus comes out, I mean, like, I think it's so underappreciated, but there's so many boring, repetitive and dangerous jobs where even when Optimus is just first deployed and people don't have to do that type of work anymore, um, it's gonna be a massive difference. And then the autonomy for people that don't have autonomy right now, if, they, if they're able to have an Optimus and then the price point that makes it affordable. And of course, everything that we need to see on Mars, I expect to end up in either Tesla or SpaceX or the boring company, which is for me, one of those nefarious, it's hard to quantify, but it's always a, one of those things that I included when I think about investing in Tesla is that the innovation is just starting. Yeah, it's wild. Do, do you think the stock has anything priced in for FSD or energy or the bot today? No, 
I know that they don't because I like when like Gary Black keeps very good records. Um, what other Wall Street analysts are uh, modeling for and energy was underneath. The average is 21 billion in 2030 is what they have modeled in for energy. And that's underneath what, what the revenue should be out just out of Lathrop by a lot. And, you know, the reason for that is because up until now, there hasn't been a lot of revenue from energy in Tesla's books. They were, they didn't have the factory. They weren't doing the same level of mass manufacturing. So the costs were higher. They didn't have the quite the efficiencies. They weren't deploying it on large scale. So I, I, I anticipate that the energy profits are going to surprise Wall Street. Again, it is a big box of batteries, but it's a smart box of batteries. And that's one of Tesla's differentiators. And it is a plug and play system that has all the electrical components needed for like thermal management within the batteries. Then it has Tesla software, just like if you look at FSD with auto, that argument that layers on top with PowerHub and AutoBidder and MicroGrid. That's a huge differentiator for Tesla batteries versus others. They're definitely a best-in-class solution. Nice. Thank you for that. All right, let's do a couple more. Next question. Ba -ba -da -da. And Sergey, question to both of you. Uh, uh, MP3 is about the whole planet. Master Plan 3 is about the whole planet. What percentage of it do you think Tesla is planning to do itself? Great question. How do you think about that? You go first. Ladies first. Yeah, I I think a lot of it. <laughs> I mean, I I, I think they 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 very much said that they're going to focus first on the EVs and first on the the energy storage because that is over fifty percent of the solution if they just get to those two components down. But I I expect myself, and I wouldn't put this in a model or maybe take a bet on it. <laughs> but and I have a low cost basis, average cost base in the stock. So I can I can be a little bit more fanciful in my thoughts. But um sure. I I, <laughs> I expect to see waves of gigafactories and megafactories going into place all around the world. That the that so that the way you make master plan three happen is by localizing the supply and the factory to the end user as much as you possibly can, as soon as you possibly can. And I don't think that Tesla is going to worry a lot about getting ships and, and more Roros. We've heard like people talking about that, that being a limited market. And that was actually one of the things that was asked of Tom Zhu at investor day is like, we don't need them. And you know, they don't need them for two reasons. One, they'd go back empty. The second is because they're going to be localizing factories on all these places and you're not going to be needing to ship things cars across the ocean wow so so percentage wise what do you think percentage wise i think they're going to keep going to the whole master plan three until competition steps in and starts taking some of the market and then tesla has never been scared of competition they've actually always wanted help which is what's so stupid about the competition is coming argument you're you're talking about mass disruption of industries, which is one of the reasons why I invested in Tesla and was all in, like almost from the get go. It was like when I looked around at companies to invest in, I wanted something that was going to be massively disruptive, disrupt an entire industry, disrupt an entire space, even better that I believe so much in the mission where it just seemed worth investing in. Even if I lost my money, I didn't actually care that much because the mission seemed yeah. to be a worthwhile one. What do you yeah. think? What percentage are you thinking? 
I'm thinking they do 20% of the total effort and volume and they get 80% of the profits. That's how I, that's <laughs> there how I think go. about that. Yeah. No, that's actually, Very... that matches up with the iPhone. Like, exactly. like I, I had tried to say that the iPhone had a large part of the market share and I was interrupted by the units and I was, but it's actually the revenue. The iPhone in 2021 had 44% of the smartphone revenue. Yep. But not all of the units. So that's a really good, really, I, I totally agree with you. Well yeah, said. That's how, that's how I think about it. <laughs> really Thank you. well Thank said. You. Likewise, likewise. All right, let's do one more. And then uh, we'll call this sucker finished. Last one. Ba -ba -da -da. And Chris, Chris, will or when will Tesla open FSD to other automakers? Ooh, when do you think, Amy? When do you think they'll license? I think that the other automakers have to actually have significant levels of EVs first, <laughs> but I don't see Tesla licensing FSD to legacy auto fossil fuel cars. It just, mm. it, it adds a whole level of complexity, complexity for Tesla. It's really probably not worth it. So given that I think that that's at least five, five 10 years in the future, that's what I'm going with. Okay. Yeah, I tend to I tend to agree with you. I think I think at the earliest 2030, earliest yeah. 2030, more realistically, they would have to be at uh, like max production, which for Tesla, God knows what that number is. And and they would have to be at a place, like you said, where competition or, you know, let's call them partners <laughs> would, mm -hmm. would be a significant enough volume where they can take advantage of it. My guess is they'll start with niche players first. I think the larger players are going to have too big of an ego to take it on. I really believe so because it requires them to really just rejigger how they do their their business. So I could see small players adopting it starting 2030 if Tesla chooses to open it up, but it'll be like a fractional percentage of the total autonomous miles driven. And then over time, it'll, it'll get bigger. So that's how I think about it. So, but 2030 at the earliest. Yeah. Yeah. I the only argument that would draw that forward is just that people, people may be dying without it. Very, very good point like a seatbelt scenario where we just have to get it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. Great point. Amy, thank you so much. What a fun hour and a half discussion. You can find Amy on Twitter. We have her handle right there, right below her name at SF underscore, underscore, underscore Tahoe. How many underscores do you got in there? Three or two? <laughs> Three. Okay. <laughs> Three like, underscores. I, I, I wasn't actually planning to like have a public Twitter account or to be talking yeah. on anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't well, anything that I planned out. Well, <laughs> it like, it's amazing oh, how life turns out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But make sure you check her out on Twitter. Uh, Amy also frequents uh, Herbert's channel, Brighter with Herbert as well. Make sure you check him out. On uh, Amy, on Thursdays, it's been an absolute pleasure. It was such a so cool meeting you in person uh, at, the, at the Bull Stampede in Austin uh, oh, a few weeks me, ago. Let let me tell everyone what a great job that oh Parfait God. did with the with the bull stampede. Like it was it, people. The the recording is so professional, so good. People don't understand that it was loud in there, and and he did the job he did moderating that panel was like he's the he could he could be the next big like Oprah something like that. Oh my God! Like, yeah. It was just so. <laughs> 
it was so well done it was so informational and oh i've watched God. it over many times like the 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 different perspectives and everything it was fabulous absolutely wow. fabulous and well, and i mean i saw like mainstream media reporting on it too like it was really impactful like wow. well done that's awesome well thank you so much that's very sweet that's yeah, I mean, I think I think the panelists should 100% get all the credit. I was just a dude up there with a beer trying to like steal the conversation, but that's I very kind. All Thank credit, you. But I give oh my you God. the most credit. You put it together. You, Thank you, you. You got the venue. You got a very professional production staff. You have your wonderful wife, who's like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm I'm very lucky. I mean, I'll tell you, it, it definitely a huge shout out to Clive, which was the bar that hosted it. Tessa Owners Club was the one that, you know, brought me forward. Matthew Tower, who's part of the club, you know, was the one that sort of came up with with the idea. And, and uh, you know, the guys at Tessa Owners Club and with uh, Matt and Anwar Beck really helped make it happen. And and I mean, I think Noah from Corporate Streams, the, the so that was his production company. And he donated his time and his staff to make wow. it happen, which is completely, absolutely insane. So shout out to Noah and Corporate Streams. If you honestly, if, I couldn't recommend them enough if you want to do that, if you're somebody who wants to do an event like that for your own, make sure you hit up Noah. I have his information on all the different videos with the uh, corporate streams that we did at Tesla owners or the Tesla Bull and Stampede. But yeah, it was just an, and obviously the panelists, you know, just all star investors. It's just, it was just a, uh, it was just really, really fun. And uh, as usual, yeah, it, it was so cool. And Sandy Monroe stole the show as he always does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I spent yeah. at least an hour talking to him. Like, I, yeah. I was able to talk to him on a break during the investor day. And then I got to talk to him at the Clive bar for a significant length of time too. And yeah. I, we even were talking mega packs. Like we were talking That's all awesome. sorts of stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. The next panel we do, we got to make sure we have you on there. One of the things I was getting, I was like, not enough ladies. I'm like, I agree. Next time we'll get more ladies. <laughs> Is on there so uh, well, make I sure was, uh but i was supposed yeah. to be on the stage prior. on the herbert I, like, one yeah i was just i was too busy talking to tom Zhu to leave <laughs> <laughs> that's a good excuse <laughs> that's awesome amy thank you so much thank you everybody in the comments really appreciate you guys keeping the comment section always incredibly civil mods thank you so much and last but not least producer wife my goodness great job again you're the best love you baby and uh yeah we'll see you around amy you're welcome back anytime and i look forward uh, to the next time we speak thank you so much Sounds great. All right.